G'day legends, how you doing? Welcome back to another episode of Fat Chat by Body Magic. Now the episode today, I've had in the back pocket just simmering away for uh, a few weeks now and I'm so bloody excited to finally get it out into the world. I'm joined by my favourite athlete of all time of any sport anywhere. Uh, His name's Bryce Cotton and he's a multiple championship winner player for the Perth Wildcats, multiple league MVP winner in the NBL here. He's also had stints over in the NBA playing for uh, Utah, Memphis, Phoenix Suns and had all also had a really successful college career as well. So obviously I'm a massive fan of Bryce and everything that he does on the court, but it's his off-the-court story that is so much more impressive. So everything from when he was a kid, he got diagnosed with a really rare form of epilepsy and was told that he wasn't going to live past the age of 11. Uh, so hectic, that story. He then goes into how he got himself into college, making the most of all these small little opportunities and um, through a little bit of luck with some injuries on the team and making the most of those little moments that he was getting on the court. Uh, he then led the Big East, which is a massive conference in America in scoring. Uh, he went undrafted in the, in the NBA draft, made his way through the development leagues in the US and uh, finally got himself onto an NBA roster. Um, he goes into all the NBA stories and his experience in that and it is really, really incredible and like I said, the uh, the amount of resilience that he's shown all throughout his career is bloody inspiring. Uh, Bryce also tells us how he ended up in Perth and uh, creating you know such a massive legacy over at the Wildcats now that's never going to be forgotten as uh, the greatest player to ever come on into the league. Uh, He goes into his mindset as to how he dealt with all these pretty hectic situations that he did find himself in throughout his career, Um, how he got to be the person and player that he is now, and uh, I think everybody's going to really, really enjoy this podcast. So uh, let's get into it. Just remember, as always, follow, subscribe uh, to the Fat Chat uh, podcast. goes a long way into getting more guests onto onto, uh, the uh, episodes and continuing uh, the podcast. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, it takes you 20 seconds of your time, Uh, but uh, I can not wait to get into it. Here we bloody go into the episode with Bryce Cotton. Welcome back to another episode of Potty Magic. Now, the episode today, I'm pinching myself that I've got to be perfectly honest, because if there was a list of people that I'd be going, gee, I'd love to get them on a podcast. Sort of top three would be probably Michael Jordan would be up there. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, Ed Sheeran would also be pretty cool. I love Ed Sheeran. Uh, and number three, I've got him sitting next to me. He's the three-time NBL uh, MVP, a three-time championship player with the Perth Wildcats, the current leading scorer for the NBL for the season just gone. Please welcome Bryce Cotton. Oh, my God, Bryce. Uh, yeah, that's some elite company you got me here, so I'm pretty humble to be um, That is no word of a lie. I literally put a list of people that I was like, I would love to chat to them on a podcast. You were there. So <laughs> this is, I'm going to try to fangirl not too hard this entire time, uh, but I can't, I can't promise it's going to happen for the whole time. So <laughs> <laughs> No worries. Oh yeah, uh, how's, uh, how's everything been? How's the off season? Yeah, it's been good. Uh, had a little bit of downtime, gave my body a bit of a rest, but nice. now I'm slowly getting back into the workout and grind of things and... Uh, yeah, just trying to stay busy with some off the court stuff as well. So beautiful, pretty good. That's good, man. And you're heading over back back home for a few weeks as well in two weeks' time, did you say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll head out to Tucson for a little bit, get to see the fam, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be cool. Like last year was the first time I went in three years. Yep. So it almost kind of feels weird going back so quickly. Like it feels like I was just there. Yeah. Because I was used to those long stints. So of course, uh, yeah, everybody would be hyped. Nice man. Well, uh, I thought just to get the ball rolling, get us talking and everything, we'll just get some we we'll get some layups in. Just quick little questions, just uh-huh. answer them, go into it as much as you like. Uh, so first one, who was your favourite player growing up? Kobe. Kobe. Nice, nice. Um, in any league that you've ever played in, who is the hardest person that you've had to match up against? In any league, college, high school, NBA, NBL. I'm gonna go CJ McCollum. 
CJ McCollum. Mm-hmm. Where'd you play him? Uh, when he was at Portland, I was at Utah. Yeah, huge, huge. And uh, did you win the game? We actually did win that game. Well, one of them we won, the other one we lost. But yeah, both times, like he's just... His ability to have a counter move for any time you cut him off, it's ridiculous. So he's got one of the craziest skill sets I've seen offensively yeah, in, in today's game, or at least that I've played against. Unreal. And uh, best teammate that you've ever had. Oh, there's got to be some people that are offended by this. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's got to be some. Uh, well, let me give a shout out to Damo. Damo I've yeah. always told him, you know, he's the best. One of the best leaders I've ever played for. It always pisses them off when I say one of the best. <laughs> so I'll keep it at that. And then probably probably my teammate uh, for leaders, I guess, this, this guy named DJ Stennis. Nobody would, I don't know if anybody would know him, but he was my high school teammate back when I uh, lived in Vegas. Yep. And he was a guy like so gifted at the point guard position, and he might score two points the whole game, but everybody's wondering, like, who's that guy on the floor? Like, that's how much control he had of the game. Doing all the yeah. hard work. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, uh, I think Damo's supposed to be coming and watching this podcast in about half an hour or something. So uh, I think he's going to be pissed. <laughs> Somebody else got him now. I have to let him know. But... <laughs> I'll, I'll put DJ ahead of him just for this one. And uh, if there was one highlight out of, your, out of your whole career, there's so many highlights. Mm-hmm. If there's one that you could go back and just relive, which one would it be? Oh, man. I would say... Either when we won the Big East Championship or signing to the Jazz. Either one of those two. I would, yeah, those are probably the top. Those are, those are up there, yeah. You see, we'll get into all of that later because I can't wait to um, uh, let everybody hear all that story, which is just amazing. Um, and uh, who's the highest profile player that you've drained a three on? There's been, There's got to be a list. There's got to be a brass cotton hit list. That's <laughs> the, the highest profile player. Man, I have no idea. I've scored against some, some pretty good players. I would say the one where in my mind I uh, was like kind of hyped inside, even though I kept the poker face. We was playing the Warriors. Uh, fun fact, they actually got their 73rd win of the season on us. Yes. But I was matched up because I got into the game super late. Iggy, and who were you playing for at this point? Uh, the Grizzlies. Yep. So Andre Iguodala was guarding me, and that was like a big deal for me because growing up, I'm from Tucson, Arizona. Iggy went to U of A. And if you're from Tucson, everybody knows like you're a diehard Wildcats fan. Yeah. And they were like the equivalent of what Kentucky was basically when I was growing up. So to be matched up against him, and I used to watch him as a kid um, when he was in college and get a bucket on him, I was like, I'm free to Yeah, pretty sick. That is that yeah. awesome. Uh, and uh, last one for these ones. Have you ever reached out to Jerome Randall to see how his ankles are after you absolutely snapped on it? Or you haven't bothered to message him? His poor, poor ankles. Man, me, me and Jerome were actually pretty cool. <laughs> and you know, it, it's funny, man. It's funny how basketball works because my older brother he's the one who put me on to jerome when i was in high school um and he kept telling me you know watch this guy who plays for a cow and he's super short and blah 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 so i'm like okay i'm watching him and he was amazing and i was a huge fan of him and then once he graduated from cal i didn't know where he was playing and when i came out here i want to say one of our first games like probably our first or second game here we're playing against Jerome Randall. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. shit, here he is again. Like, 
So it was like, yeah, a whole lot of those aha moments where I've been able to match up against people that I've been huge fans of. And obviously Jerome's a hell of a player. So when I did pull off that move, I just <laughs> kind of kept, yeah, I just kept thinking, <laughs> you gotta make this shot. You yeah, had to fucking yeah, make yeah. the shot. So yeah, was... The best thing about that highlight, when I look back at that you know, preparation for this, just behind where the ring is, you can see me in the crowd. Just behind. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to click this up and I'll put it on. Yeah, I was going to say, I got to see that. So I was right there with you. <laughs> uh, so uh, before we get into all your career stuff, which again, can't wait to um, share with everybody uh, the story because it is so um, amazing about all the resilience that you had to go through, how you're still so humble, um, all the hard times and hard work that you had to put in it. Um, it's, it's a really awesome story. It's got a movie written all over, really. Um, but um, I've actually got a story for you. Yeah, let's hear it. Now, so, for that. I don't know if you know this, Bryce, but we've actually met once before. I don't know if you know this. I feel bad for saying it, but no, I don't. <laughs> I didn't think you remember it. That's totally fine, totally yeah. fine. But I remember it, and I'll tell you why. Because it wasn't just a meeting. You taught me a very, very valuable life lesson. And I'll literally, I'm going to have this as a life lesson for the rest of my life. Okay. I'll be dead sad, right? So, okay. uh, I don't know if you know this. I was actually on this TV show uh, called Love Island. Have you heard of Love Island? I have heard of it. Heard of it, yeah. yeah. So... The dating show, they put me on an island, pop boy, pop girl, I was one of the hot boys. That's so, pop so, I did this show for a few weeks and then I come back to Perth and the first weekend that I'm back, uh, we decided I was with Jono who's doing the buttons here and uh, my sister, another friend. We thought, let's go out, let's go out and about. So yeah. Sunday night, we're headed up to the lookout up in hey. Scarborough. Right, the lookout up in Scarborough. So uh, we're going up there uh, and again, this is my first night out like from the show and I didn't know, I was like, I was like only celebrity when I came back for eight weeks there, not anymore. For yeah. eight weeks. I was the I was the Brad Pitt Perth. Like yeah. I was literally I was up here. I was up here. Yeah. I didn't know this. So I walked to the front of the line, the line's huge, and someone was like, Oh Jared, come on through, straight through. I'm sure you get this all the time, but straight yeah. through. They're going, Yeah, how many mates you got? No worries, going in. Uh drinks, don't worry about it, they're all free. I'm going, This is amazing, right. it exists. Everybody's every second person, selfie, I'm getting uh, my What's it called? Uh, cheeks are sore from smiling. Yeah, so much yeah. doing the selfies. There's so many everywhere. Um, having the best time ever. I think the best night of my life. I'm fine up here. I'm Brad Pitt of Perth. I'm just like, yeah. I'm, I'm king. King of Scarborough tonight. Uh, and then we're sitting down and I look over the bar and these two guys walk in and it's Trico White <laughs> and Bryce Cotton. Right? And I go, I look over to Jono and I go, Jono, this could not get any better. I'm Brad Pitt of Perth. Drinks are free. Everyone's coming up, girls everywhere. This is the best day ever. Right. And Bryce Cotton, my favourite athlete, has walked in, and I'm about to meet Bryce Cotton, and it's gonna we're gonna be best friends, and it's gonna be the best night of my entire life. Right. I'm thinking this is awesome. Right. So anyway, so I go, all right, let's okay. do this. <laughs> so anyway, okay. I'm up here, Bryce. I'm floating off the floor. I've got so much confidence. Having the best day ever, and then Bryce Cotton's walking down this way, and I'm walking towards Bryce Cotton. I'm pushing all the fans out the way. I'm going, right. There's no more selfies. It's me and Bryce time. But anyway, we get there, uh, and I go, Bryce. How you doing? Did I go for a handshake? So I'm gonna to need to do a roll reverse with you for a sec. You're gonna be me. Okay. I'm gonna be you. All right. All so right. Now okay. you're gonna be excited. Like Brass Cotton, right? You're gonna be excited yeah. to meet me. Be excited. Uh, okay, I'm excited. Yeah, okay, Super excited. So go for a handshake, right? So you're me. Yeah. And I'm greeted with the softest, the dead fish, <laughs> the dead fish, the wettest fish handshake yeah. I've ever had in my entire life. And I'll tell you what, Bryce. I went from Brad Pitt of Perth back down to Gerald from Cannonball very quickly <laughs> after that. So thank you so much for keeping me humble. That is I, crazy. I, I, and honestly, it's a life lesson and I'm going to carry with carry that with me forever. Just remember where you come from and you taught me that. So thank you so much. You know what? In my defense, <laughs> in my defense, when you told me it was lookout, I already knew like, okay, it's, it's either this year or that year. 
And when Tariko was playing, I messed up my thumb really bad. Like I had damn near ruptured it. Oh, so that that bad. could be a reason why oh, I didn't squeeze you. In my go. defense. Oh wow! But if I still taught you a lesson, I, it's you still a lesson, right? I know, but that, and I'm so thankful he did that because yeah. I stayed so humble. So thank you so much. That's... And if you think I'm making it up, you can you can see the footage <laughs> where I got my hand wrapped all season, and Tariq goes on the TV. Oh, oh, yeah, mate, I forgive you and again. Thank you so much for doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It really and I've told that story to so many people. Right. So, <laughs> hey, water under the bridge, man. Water under the bridge. But hey, mate, we're sitting on a couch now about to do a podcast. Uh, so we're, we're good. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's talk about you now. So uh, like I said, you've got such an amazing story. Um, hard work, resilience, determination, all of it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it is really inspirational. And, you know, I know I just love you for your basketball ability, but your whole story is just, you know, really inspiring. It would be for so many people. So let's go right back. Uh, you grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Mm -hmm. Want to tell us a little bit about Tucson and uh, growing up and, uh, and your family? Yeah, so uh, Tucson is a super small city. Um, I had a small family and basically it was me and my older brother. And we were raised by my mom, my grandma, and my great-grandma primarily. And yeah, it was just, we used to have a whole bunch of fun, you know, playing, just doing small city stuff. And I was a baby of the family at the time. All my older cousins and my brother, like they played sports. So I just played whatever they wanted to play. Um, so I want to say early on, it was baseball, football, basketball, I was playing everything. And then for whatever reason, my mom kept magically missing um, the signups for baseball three years in a row, no, nice. magically missed it. And out of nowhere, I just kind of stopped wanting to play that. So then it just became football and basketball. Then I got sick and they didn't want me playing sports that involved like a lot of head knocks. But then it just kind of became basketball and I zeroed in on that. And yeah, it just it kind of took off from there. And what age was that that you started to take basketball a little bit more seriously or, or maybe stop the other sports and getting into basketball? So when I knew I was going to take basketball seriously, um, it was, I was about 10. Yep. Yeah. I was about 10. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, you said that, um, you know, your mum stopped signing you up for football mm -hmm. and the sort of was just sort of like, you know, you were usher this way, usher way, don't worry about that. Let's go a little bit more of the basketball route. Was there a reason for that? Yeah. So, well, with the baseball, I don't know. That's still a mystery to this day. Why she stopped signing why that? that is. I can already tell you because baseball is like our cricket, right? Where you're there all day. Like you're there the whole day. Right. Baseball the whole day. Fuck that if you're a parent. That's going to be I agree. But but my brother's main sport was baseball. Was it really? Yeah. Oh. So that's why I'm like, I don't know what the excuse was for that one. But yeah, so baseball was out the window early. I loved football the most. And then, yeah, when I got sick, I had a rare form of epilepsy, which we didn't know right away. Crazy. But, um, yeah, they were like, you need to stay away from any sports that have a lot of, like, continuous head knocks or whatever. So basketball just ended up being the one sport left because I didn't want to try soccer or anything like that. Plus, like, I was kind of one of the smaller kids anyway. And once kids, like, really started to fill out, I'm like, yeah, maybe basketball is not such a yeah, bad idea. Anyway. A yeah, exactly. For sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Um, and uh, you just touched on it before that you were diagnosed with epilepsy. When you were, that was when you were 10? Uh, well, I got diagnosed at 11, but it's yeah. I started having all the episodes when I was 9. And what sort of stuff was happening? Um, what sort of symptoms were you having for that? And how was that affecting you? <laughs> I mean, it's the weirdest thing. So long story short, uh, I can tell you how the first one happened. Yeah. It was the day after my great-grandmother's birthday. Uh, I wake up. I'm watching SpongeBob. 
and my mom tells me breakfast is ready. I try to get out of bed and my leg won't move. Like it's like it's paralyzed. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. And then I'm able to get up and everything's fine. I'm eating breakfast. Then I'm walking back to my room. My leg gives out again. Can't really move it for like 10, wow. 15 seconds. And I'm like, you know, in my head, like, why, why do I keep falling? Like, what's, what's going on? And then the next time, it might have been another half hour later, leg goes numb again. I can't move it. And then I just feel this pain starting in my foot. And then it goes all the way up to basically my rib cage. And then my body is just convulsing. And I remember my mom comes into the room and her eyes, it's like, yeah, she's just looking like she's looking at an exorcism type uh, shit. So, so when you go, when you have, when you have an episode like that, how did ep epileptic fit like that? Can you kind of remember what happened with it? Or are you in, in, in a little bit kind of dazed as that happened? I remember it. So in the beginning, when they first started to happen, I was able to still kind of talk. Like I could yell for my mom and talk a little bit and I can see what's going on. But they progressively got worse and worse, like every few months, to wow. where when they happen, I'm not like aware of anything, okay. and that's why um, the doctors basically said because they didn't know what was going on. They actually said at one point they thought I was doing it to myself for attention, which is crazy. Yeah, but uh, they were like, "Well, we don't know what's going on. It's progressively getting worse. Like you should probably plan for the funeral because he won't make it past sixth grade." What fucking doctor did you go to? That's <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. my god. So it was. Yeah. It was. It was wild. But some significance behind that is me not making it past sixth grade. I would have died at eleven. So, um, aside from that, eleven was always a number. Like was like a lucky number for me sports wise. But mm. then when I got hit with that, it just became even more of a special number to me um, as I continued to live on because it's a reminder that. Whatever time you're given on this earth, you use it to your advantage. You live it to the fullest. You never take time off. Um, so every time I suit up and I see 11 now, or for however many years I've been wearing it, um, it's just a reminder of, like, you've gone so far in your life, but keep going. Oh, man, it's amazing. It's just so full on. And um, at the time when you were so young, did you could you grasp how serious that was yourself? Or was it more your mum that was obviously trying to you know, get you through that and maybe make it not sound as bad as what it was? Or, or were you pretty aware with everything that the doctors were saying and how your mum was acting of what they maybe thought could have happened? My mom, shield, my mom and my grand, they shielded me from what the doctors were saying. They just kept talking about, you know, well, those doctors could say what they want. God has the final say. God's in control. So they used to always tell me, you know, just keep the faith and keep praying. Um, but so I agreed with them on that standpoint. But also when I'm going through these fits, like sometimes during these fits, like you don't know if you're going to live, if you can't breathe. So yeah. I was still aware it was very, very serious, but I was just, yeah, praying, hoping for a miracle. But yeah. So I would say yeah, it was a little bit of both. But now that I'm a parent, it's crazy. Like, I don't know, it's, it's amazing for me to think like how my mom and my grand weathered the storm throughout all these different obstacles. We even moved to a different state because my grand had some connections with some people, I guess, from back in her day. And we moved to try to get better, better medical help and all that. But uh, yeah, the efforts they went through, it was absolutely amazing. So with my journey with basketball, like as much as I feel like I owe it to myself, like I owe it to them and 
everybody else that supported me through all these different obstacles. Yeah, most definitely. So then from that, when did you start to kind of get a little bit more on top of it in terms of whatever treatment that you were doing mm -hmm. and then able to get back into basketball uh, and then eventually obviously play high school basketball when it's sort of there on, what was that little period like? So the basketball never stopped, even though I really have my, yeah. The only thing that stopped was baseball and football, but I was still able to play basketball. Seventh grade um, is when we went to, what I forget the hospital, but it was in Phoenix. And they told me, you have this form of epilepsy and you're gonna take the medication. I think it was called Tegretol. And like, I hated taking pills, like, yeah, I just had a phobia of taking pills because I'd always feel like I'd choke on them. So they gave me the chewable ones, and I remember they tasted like candy. Like, they actually tasted, they yeah. tasted the whole, really, really the good. The whole packet was gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so they gave me Tegretol when I was in seventh grade, and I used to have to take it two times a day. And, you know, thank God, like, the last time I ever had an episode was the last day of school in sixth grade. And yeah, I've been cool ever since. But I took that medication for two years. Wow. And, yeah. Crazy, man. And then uh, what high school did you end up uh, playing at? So I went to Tucson High for my first two years. Yeah. And you did very well, Tucson High as well, right? Uh, but towards the back end of it. Nah, so I mean, I did I did great on freshman. So I played freshman. And I don't know if you guys know out here, there's three levels for high school basketball. You got your freshman team, yep. which is first year. And then you got JB for years 10 or 11 yep and then you got varsity so i played freshman year we did well and then and it's what less common for obviously younger guys to play minutes when you're in a freshman freshman year because you're just coming into the team yeah usually usually good players they play varsity as freshmen or at yep. least sophomores i didn't either so i went through all the different stages um the first two years were pretty cool then i moved off to vegas for a year because my mom had a job transfer I wasn't a fan of moving out there at all. Uh, I might be now, but maybe not when you were 12. Yeah. Yeah, it would be now for sure. But um, yeah, so when we moved out there, I just kind of told my mom, I'm like, oh, I don't think this is going to work. Like all the high schools have their guys. Like I want to go out here and sit the bench basically because I have two years to try to get a scholarship. So needless to say, we went out there anyway. The year went, you know, okay. As From a team standpoint, we did all right. But it didn't go well for me individually. And I remember telling my mom, um, like, I wanted to move back to Tucson for my senior year. And I was like, well, we tried your your path or whatever. And we saw how it went. And I was like, just let me bet on myself, move back to Tucson. If it doesn't work out, then I can blame myself. I don't have to blame anybody because I chose my path. Yeah. I was like, but if I stay here for my senior year and it doesn't work out, this wasn't my path. And like... I just feel that's not fair. So she was like, all right, cool. Like, we'll we'll move back. How far is that move, by the way? Six and a half hour drive. So we moved back. And basically, the I had like one real year of varsity where I was going to play real minutes. So it was like an all or nothing year. And uh, I went to Palo Verde when I came back to Tucson. And that's when I really, really went rolling. Yeah, we could. And you were averaging, what, like 23 points, seven rebounds, four assists, three steals. That's pretty awesome numbers yeah you know, high school that's elite yeah and that year went uh was first team all city and all state as well so uh definitely did my thing and i was just forever grateful my mom like allowed move. me to take yeah. that chance and come back home most definitely a yeah, great move so then from that 
you would have thought if you're averaging those sort of numbers that there would just be college. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The offers coming in all over the place. What was that like? Did you receive any offers? Uh, and what was that little period leading up to playing college for you like? Uh, yeah, it was just getting turned down left and right. Uh, the Idiots. The biggest recruit or the biggest school, I would say, that was recruiting me at the time was Montana State. And I was like, sure, I was going to go there. And so how does it kind of work? Do they, is there scouts that just get sent out to all the high school games? Is it, um, how does it, do you go for tryouts? They do like a, yeah. like a combine thing? How does it work? Well, they have AAU circuits, which happen in the off season where you travel to different tournaments and that's where you just have a gang of scouts, college scouts, just watching and seeing what guys they like. And then they find your information and they know what high school you're at. And then that's how they kind of keep tabs. Yeah. But, um, Montana State in particular, I did their elite camp, which is, I guess, anybody they're looking at. Um, she right under their nose, doing yeah. all the stuff. Yeah. And me and this guy, so this is when I was still in Vegas. I hadn't moved to Tucson yet. We went to their elite camp. We're both in Vegas. And we did so good the first two or three games that they they broke our team apart. Like, they were like it's just not competitive, basically. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely getting a scholarship. And one of the guys who we had beat before they split the teams up was somebody they had already offered. So I was like, oh, I'm I'm rolling. I'm going to be good. Then they humbled me real quick, told me they had three, four guys ahead of me that they felt was better uh, at my position. And they just kind of weaned off. And I'm pretty sure Damo told me um, one of the coaches at Montana State used to coach him. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's kind of funny how things come around full circle. Totally. And the other one was UC Santa Barbara. So they came for our first playoff game. And we were down like 17. We came back, won the game. I had 40 points. Beautiful. And I'm like, oh, yeah, definitely going to UC Santa Barbara now. And they just disappeared after that as well. And their reasoning was, um, they said, we have a guy that's getting ready to be a pro in either a year or two's time and he plays your position so we don't need you and it was humbling but another full circle moment was uh the guy's name was orlando johnson yeah. that's like that's actually my friend to this day uh, we ended up playing together in the d-league for a little bit and then he played out here in australia a couple years ago in uh brisbane and yeah. I, I remember telling him about that like because i was like so jealous that he got to go to uc santa barbara because that was Probably the only school that would have been remotely close to Tucson. But yeah, a lot of full circle moments. Wow, that's wild. And then how did you actually then end up at Providence? Who who contacted who? Um, did you get, you know, an offer from them? Or was it, did you go yeah. to a combine? You talked to a coach? How did it happen? So Providence was the flukest thing. But before I say that, yeah. shout out to UC Santa Barbara because Orlando Johnson did get drafted and he did play a few years in the NBA. So Gun. they made the right call. Gun. So I'm not Gun. disrespecting them. Shout, shout out to them. Well, I should have gone Brock Collins. <laughs> but he wouldn't be sitting I there. I could have came there after him. Yeah, I could have came there after him. But shout, shout out. Oh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so basically I'm playing pickup. And this is like well after I've graduated. So we're in August now. And I'm playing pickup with my god brother at the gym. And we go to take a water break, and this guy who runs the Arizona Preps uh, website, his name is Anthony Ray, and he was like kind of helping me and trying to help a bunch of other unsigned seniors get to a school. He was like, oh, I think I may have a scholarship for you at Providence. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so 
Because Providence is a big school as well, right? Yeah, it's in the Big East too. Mm. So like, you have to remember from my perspective, you know, I'm getting turned down by schools like Montana State, NAU, like teams in the Big Sky Conference saying like they don't even think I'm tough enough or good enough. So a school like in the Big East, I'm like, I know I'm not going high major. So it just kind of took me for a loop. But anyway, I think they saw me because I had good grades and like I could have boosted the team's GPA. Nice. But uh, yeah, it was probably four or five days before school started. Um, they decided to offer me and I didn't have anything else to bargain with. Otherwise, I would have went to the local community college and I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And I just took it as, you know, this is your one and only opportunity. You have to make it work. And the journey that happens from when I get there is crazy. But yeah, I always describe to people me getting into college was the luckiest thing. And I still don't know how or why it happened. Like they just came across me randomly on the website and wow. decided to pull the trigger. That's crazy. So shout out Keno Davis. That was the head coach of Providence. And then Christian Davis was the uh, head assistant. And they're the ones who decided to uh, bring me into Providence. Crazy. So that changed my life. That's awesome. And then when you were first rocking up to that program, like you said, you're kind of feeling almost a little bit out of your depth, thinking, gee, this is like, this is a B-school, this is the next level up from where maybe I thought I was going to be to start them off with. What was it first like rolling into that program? Uh, and play with the guys and just sort of finding your spot in the team and, mm -hmm. and what you're going to be doing throughout your college career. So talent-wise, I didn't feel like I was out of my depth, but, like, I was just in awe of, like, the schools that I was getting turned down by to a school that decides to offer me. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention, even a, a Division two school uh, turned me down as well. And, like, just wow. out of the blue, like, I show up on the visit and they were like, yep, we just want to get a look at you. Um, so why do you think that kept happening? Couldn't tell like, you. I couldn't tell why? you. Why? Couldn't tell you. But the Chico State, yeah, they were like, we just want to get you on campus to so you can get familiar with some of the guys. But basically, we'll put a pen to paper there and played pickup, hung out with the guys. They pulled me into the office the next day, and they were like, look, we don't know how this happened, but we found out we don't have any scholarship money. We're sorry. And me and my high school coach felt like maybe they just – thought I was taller, bigger in statue than what I actually was. But yeah, so just a bunch of those things like D2s, the low division ones turning me down and now I'm playing at the Big East, which is one of the biggest conferences in college history. So it's very surreal, but um, I felt like, okay, now that I'm here, it's a great opportunity to see where I'm at and compete. But I was honestly just in awe that whole year because I didn't play a lot in my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing against Coaches like Rick Pitino, uh, Jim Beheim, Calhoun from Connecticut, like all these coaches that I used to watch as a kid on TV from Little Oak, Tucson. Like at that time, nobody did much um, coming from Tucson from a basketball standpoint. Like the only two names you heard would be Sean Elliott or Fat Lieber. And those guys came up when my mom came up. So for the next 20, 30 years, a bit of a gap. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking. That's pros. Like, people weren't even going to college doing amazing. So I'm just like, wow, I can't believe these guys are, like, my competition now. And then once I didn't play my freshman year, I kind of snapped out of it and then was like, all right, I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to work as the hardest I've ever done in my life because I'm trying to get on the floor and prove myself. And once I got out of that all stage, a bunch of other things started to happen, but my sophomore year was my breakout year. And then who was sort of in front of you in terms of the position, getting more court time, 
uh, at the time in college. And then when did the little point turn, like you said, where a couple of things maybe fell your way, what fell, fell your way? And <laughs> um, yeah, what happened? Tell us about that. All right. So long story short, freshman year, I'm playing um, behind Marshawn Brooks. So he led the Big East in scoring. I think he was number two in the nation behind Jimmy Burnett. And, yeah, so I had courtside seats basically to watch him light it up every night. And he's a gun. Yeah. yeah. I had no problem with that. Like, he was a senior, and, yeah, everybody knew he was going to get drafted. So that was cool. I, I was able to learn from him watching him night in, night out. And then going into my sophomore year, they were bringing in this guard named Kiwi Gardner. And he was, like, the one of, like, the first YouTube sen- sensations for uh, – like basketball players, like how guys go viral now all the time. Mm-hmm. Kiwi was like probably one of the originals when that stuff was still rare to become viral. And when he got here, he was ruled academically ineligible for the whole season. So he would have been... Is that just because he's, what, his grains weren't good enough to play? Or was there other stuff? Like qualifying for... Like basically qualifying for the NCAA clearinghouse, I think they call it. So it's based off of... Did you take the right courses to give you the proper credits in high school right. to make you eligible? And so that stuff, it didn't go through. Yeah. And that allowed me to play a lot of minutes because we were really short at the guard position at that point. Because I think we lost three guards after my freshman year. So they had no choice but to play me. We had a new coaching staff going into that year. Ed Cooley, that was his first year. And I played probably like 37 minutes a game. So I went from playing like seven minutes a game to 37 the next year. And I averaged, I think, 14 on second on the team in scoring. So I had a really good breakout year. So now it's like, okay, now I'm kind of being respected. Like I do belong at this level in the eyes of other people. Yeah. Now going into that following year, we recruit uh, two people, Ricky Lito. And Chris Dunn. So Ricky Lito is like number two at his position in the country, shooting guard. And then we got Chris Dunn, who was the number one point guard in the country at McDonald's All-American and all that. So it's like, all right, I'm probably not going to be playing. <laughs> yeah, so you again. just built it back up. You're getting your minutes and you go, mm-hmm. hold on, I'm going to take a bit more of a seat again. Because it's like these are these coaches first time to bring in their recruits. Like that first year, they just had to deal with who was already here. But... um with Chris Dunn, he hurts his shoulder, um, and he's hurt for probably the first half of the season. And then Ricky is ruled academically ineligible for the whole year, like Kiwi was the year before. Yep. And Kiwi had transferred out after that year, so Kiwi's gone. And our starting point guard, Vince Council, at the time, who's also the Big East leading uh, assist leader, I think that record still stands. He tears his hamstring the first play of the first game of the season, tip ball. Wow. Like, you know how the ref gets ready to throw the ball up, tips it, Vince runs to grab it. Snap. Two minutes have gone off the, two seconds have gone off the clock. Wow. Tears his hamstring, so now I got to play point guard. Everything is on me. Wow. And I'm going on a tear. What a weird injury to get, though, off a jump ball. First playing again. Wow. Of the season. That's wild. So, yeah, so I'm playing amazing. First five or six games of the season, I'm averaging like 24 a game, doing well. And then we play Mississippi State. And um, I'm starting off well. I shoot a three. Guy basically hits me because I naturally jump forwards on my threes. Um, and I failed to sell it, but I didn't realize how close I was to the ground because I was focused on the shot. 
and my knee just twisted very funny mm. and I felt a lot of pops. And when oh, yeah. I got up, there's a lot of crunching. And so at first I thought it was an ACL, uh, but anyway, they took me to the back and they did all the mobility tests, found out I tore my meniscus. And so I'm- Which is a bad injury still. Like. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, and I have a bone chip as well. So there's a bone chip in there. And they give me the dilemma. So they say like, look, meniscus tears like it's kind of based off your tolerance like like what you've done basically you can't do anything worse to it so if you is that you, actually true if you can that... handle the pain <laughs> i got i got yeah I, yeah this is what they're telling me and the way i took it when they said you know if you can handle the pain you know you can play through it if you can't then you know you'll just call it a season and I'm weird mentally, so like I just took that as like if you're soft, just go ahead. Good to go. Yeah. Like don't don't play. And I'm thinking, you know, Ricky is ruled ineligible. Chris has hurt his shoulder. Vince just tore his hamstring, and I'm averaging 24 points a game up until this point. I may never get this chance again in my life. So play. I'm like, mm. I gotta play. So I get you know shot up with cortisone and all that stuff. Play through the season. Ended up leading the Big East in scoring. Um, had an amazing year. It was first team All Big East, and yeah, it was it was an amazing year. Um, so like now the cat's really out the bag. Like okay, Bryce is he's Bryce is for real. He's rocked up. So going into my senior year, which is my final year, the scouts wanted to know basically could I play point guard because they knew I could score at that point. And. Chris is obviously coming back. Ricky declared for the draft. He got drafted. So Ricky's gone. Vince had graduated. Um, Chris is coming back. So obviously. Same as yours. Yeah. Yes. Right. But I'm not going to play point guard. Like I'm going to be the two. Chris is going to be the one. Um, so we start the season off, right? And before that, the last, re the last preseason game, before we start the actual season, Chris dives for like a loose ball. We're up 20. Um, games decided, and he falls for the eight, messes up his shoulder. Last play of a preseason game, can't make it up. So they don't know, like, is he going to be able to play or not. He tries probably the first four games or so, but his shoulder is just so messed up. Shuts the season down for him. So Chris is done for the whole year. So now they have no choice but to play me at the point guard because we don't have anybody else now. And... I took it as like, all right, here's another opportunity where all this miraculous shit keeps happening. Well, not miraculous, but like where these unfortunate things are happening, they're presenting opportunities for you. You have to capitalize. Yep. And so, yeah, they played me the point guard the whole year. Uh, I was second in the league in scoring, first in assists, and we won our the Big East Championship. Beautiful. And we went to the tournament for the first time in a decade. So we've known eight. How good's that? Well, the knee, the knee, the knee was good at that point. I was able to get surgery going into the next season, but yeah, like it was just like anytime I talk about it, I can't believe all those things happen year after year after year. Uh, because I guess you were waiting there because you've done all the prep, you've been training hard, you've been, you've got the mindset of like you said, mm -hmm. stepping up. This is the opportunity, make make whatever happens. So, you know, it's such things do happen, but then it's a difference between somebody actually doing something about it and then not doing something about it isn't it or if you get one break but like literally that was three breaks in a row i just told you from my sophomore my junior my senior year something kept happening elsewhere but obviously i was always preparing myself but it was just crazy how that stuff happened 
And if one of those things don't happen, maybe that changes the whole trajectory of my path. Crazy. Yeah. So in 2014, uh, you finish uh, up college and you enter the uh, NBA draft. Tell us about uh, that period and what the draft experience was like for you. Did you get any offers? Uh, how did you go in the actual combine? All that sort of thing. It was the same thing as high school. So as, as much as I accomplished my last two years of college, I didn't even get an invite to the combine, which mm. was, you know, crazy to me as much as you said before that you feel lucky with some of the things i feel like you're balancing this luck with the unlucky stuff as well yeah <laughs> gotta take the crickets with the straights i guess <laughs> but yeah so i didn't get an invite to the combine uh that was a shock but um i did like 15 workouts um for different teams wow. um, anybody who's gone through the pre-draft workout process it's crazy you're in an airplane probably every three days or so flying somewhere so your body by the end of it is just spent. But um, fast forwarding that to draft day, um, I'm nervous as ever because um, obviously every your whole life that you've worked for, it's like sitting right here in front of you. So when we get to the second round, I want to say it's around probably the 42nd pick. The Spurs called my agent and they must have called him maybe two or three times. And they said, look, we have like three of the last picks or something like that late in the second round. They had like the 52nd, the 56th, and I think 58th, somewhere around there. And they're like, look, we would love to take Bryce. Um, like we love his game. We'd love to have a close look at him and all that. But we would go the draft and stash route, which means they would draft me and then I'd play overseas um, that first year. Mm -hmm because they were bringing back their whole roster because they just won the championship. They just beat Miami. Which that's quite unusual that they didn't have probably as many spots open up to switch guys in and out. Really, they, hey? they had zero spots. Like yeah. they brought back their whole team. As in that's quite, that's really uncommon. Oh yeah, very to, rare. To bring the whole very team rare. back. Yeah. Very rare. But um, I mean, all of those guys were veterans. They had all been playing, I think, for the Spurs for quite a bit. So the chemistry is through the roof. And I told my agent, like, I don't want to do that because I feel if I decide to get drafted, yes, I hear my name called. And while my family is celebrating all that, I know in my heart I'm not playing in the NBA that year. I'm being shipped up, you know, overseas. And, like, that's just not what I want. So they said, you know, okay. So they go with their first pick or whatever in, like, at 52 or whatever. They draft somebody, and then they draft somebody again. And when it came to do their last call, um, they called up my agent again. They're like, are you sure that, like, you don't want us to draft him? And my agent asked again. I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. And they said, okay. So, like, it was it was weird um, explaining to, like, my family. Like, I chose not to get drafted under those circumstances. But um, after that, it was like, okay, I've been down this road before. I had to prove myself in high school and college. And, you know, I started thinking, why should the pros be any different? So I go through the D-League route, and our team is absolutely stacked. So it's, at one point, it's me, Jay Mike, who actually plays for the Warriors now. Um, Jonathan Simmons, he played for the Spurs. Eventually, he did well. Orlando Johnson, he mm. was when I had that yep. first time I met him. And then a couple other uh, really good players on the team. We're rolling. Um, Kellen, throughout the year, Jay Mike gets called up at the NBA showcase, and then probably three weeks after him, I finally get called up to the Utah Jazz. And that was a dream come true because one, it was something that I wanted to do since I was a kid. And I remember when I was in like third grade, 
I had asked my mom, who all went to the NBA two song? And of course she meets like two people, Batley and Sean. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, mom, be the third. You watch and see. So when I actually signed on the dotted line, like, that conversation I had with my mom came through wow. in my mind. And that's so sick. And it told me I made the right decision by choosing not to go the draft and stash route. Because even though it took me through a different path, still in the NBA where I wanted to be. So that was absolutely amazing. And I wouldn't change that journey because the bonds that I formed with some of the guys too on the D League team, it was amazing before I got there to Utah. And then who were the players uh, on the team for Utah at the time? Who were the big dogs? So the big dog at that time was Gordon Hayward. And then you had the up and comers. You had Rodney Hood. You had Dante Exum, yep. who just got drafted. He was a lottery pick. Uh, Joe Ingles was over there. Nice. And Rudy Gobert. So those those were the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so that was really cool. Was that just a, was that a ten day contract that first one? It was a ten day, and then they ended up signing me for the rest of the year. Yeah. So, so how many more games did you play? How many games did you play for that period for Utah? I I couldn't tell you, but I signed in February. Yeah. And then, yeah, I stayed the rest of the year. But what was crazy, another full circle moment. So Ian Clark was on that team. Mm-hmm. He played for the Sydney Kings not too long ago. And I'm pretty sure if memory serves me correct, they released him so they can keep me. Mm-hmm. And that was wild because it was like, you know, Ian was obviously established. But uh, so that was a pretty crazy moment. But I think it worked out for everybody because one, I got to live. My dream to Ian goes off to the Warriors and wins a championship or two. So everybody, everybody, won. everybody won. Too. Yeah, everybody you know what I mean. Everybody won. Game. So it was cool. Trey Burke was over there in the last five or six games of the season. He hurts his back and he's the backup point guard. So Quinn Snyder he pulls me aside before one of the games and he tells me, um, basically Trey's hurt. He's gonna sit the rest of the season because like we're not gonna make playoffs. So he's like, you'll get the backup minutes. And he tells me. He was like, I know you've been trying to fit in, play the point guard, and just basically pass the ball and facilitate. He was like, but you're a scorer. That's what you're best at. He was like, so that's what I want you to do. He said, go out there, be aggressive, look to score. Beautiful. And he I was, can do that, coach. Yeah. <laughs> and he told me, like, word for word, he said, look to score. If you're missing, don't worry about it. Keep shooting because when you're on, you're on. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm just like, I can't believe this. Oh, God, we got a dog coming in the yard. Uh, <laughs> Bryce hates dogs. Get it away. No, I'm Get good. I'm good. <laughs> he want to hear the story, too. Man, but, uh, yeah, so, like, when he told me that, I'm just like, well, I just had an NBA coach tell me, shoot the ball. Don't worry about it. I miss it. So this is crazy. So the last five or six games of the season, I start playing really well. I think I averaged probably 12 points a game within that span, 12 points three assists or something like that, which, which would have been right. solid like, for backup yeah, numbers, so you know. Solid. And my favorite, I guess, NBA moment, we played the Mavericks, and we won that game. I had 21 points in 25 minutes, and I got to match up. I think the point guards at that time was Berea, Rondo, and Raymond Felton. Those were the guards on that, that uh, Mavericks team. And I just couldn't believe I was playing against J.J. Berea because once I went or thought I was going the undrafted route, I looked up all the undrafted guards, so like I was obsessed with JJ Barea's path. He had won a championship a few years before, and during the game, like he's, 
you know, giving me little compliments here and there. Like, man, you're so athletic, you're so quick. And I'm like, I just can't believe <laughs> what my life is right now, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that was the game, too, where I had that crazy dunk. Yes, and tell me about the dunk. How did that come about? Was it the coach that, that pulled that out? Or did you say, I've got this? So how did that work? He called that. It was a little bit of both. So that so when I was in the D-League, right, that was a play. It was like a set play we used to run all the time because we had a good passing big. And I'm, you know, pretty athletic. So we used to get that dunk all the time, like every, probably once a game. Yeah. And he asked me at breakfast that day, Quinn Snyder, he said, can you draw up that alley you play that you used to run um, in the D-League? So I drew it up for him. He's like, okay. He was like, we might, we might run this at some point. So he calls timeout in the second quarter and he looks to me and he says, Bryce, tell me, tell me that play again. Tell us where you want this guy. Yeah. So I'm lining up the spots oh. like this guy's here, I'm here. And the play is for uh, Rodney to Rodney Hood to throw the alley oop, and all I'm thinking is when this play happens, like Rodney, please don't fuck up this play. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I need throw this. Me, I, cool, I need this. <laughs> so yeah, we set the play up. Everything's running smooth. He throws it up there, and I just feel like no matter where it is, I have to go get it. But I see out the corner of my eye. I think it was a uh, so Devin Harris jumps. And then there's Dwight Powell coming out of the corner of my eye. And I see him. Dwight Powell's like 6'11". Yeah. So I get nervous. So, like, literally, I just grab it with my left hand. And I just try to, like, what? get it at the hoop as quick as I can. My eyes were actually closed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do it. Then <laughs> I hear the crowd go crazy. And I kind of look the to the bench. You know, like, <laughs> Did I just make that? <laughs> and, like, I see everybody going crazy. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is wild. And then, yeah, I just went on to have an amazing game. Did some great crossovers of some people hit some shots like almost like the same move i did on um Brandon. randall yeah i did it to somebody else oh, hit yeah, the shot so over the joint. and like that that sealed the deal for me that let me know like if i'm giving an given an opportunity i can play no matter where i'm at i'm given the opportunity so i was i'm always forever grateful for the time that i had with utah because yeah. of that stick where i got those backup minutes and playing well that's that awesome. meant the world to me. And you actually, like you said before, you averaged some really good points and assists mm -hmm. and stats and everything. So at the end of that season, were you offered a, another contract with Utah or did you continue to train with them? Or how did that how did that work once that season was actually over? So here is what happened, right? Full stitch up, it has to be. Yeah. So <laughs> so basically, um going into that offseason, I think there was like world qualifiers or something going on where people play for the countries. Yep. Dante Exum tears his ACL on like a non-contact play when he's playing for Australia. Mm -hmm. And they come to me when we're in summer league and playing for them still. And they're like, well, look, or they told my agent, we don't know if Dante's going to be ready by the time the season comes. So you might have to start a couple games. So now in my mind, because they told me that it's not a matter of, you know, okay, I'm like, I'm going to be on the team next year. Like you just told me I might have to start because yeah. X is hurt. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like things are going well. I had an amazing summer league with the team. Um, and then all of a sudden they signed uh, Raul Neto during summer league, guaranteed his contract. And mine still wasn't guaranteed. So like, you my, see they going so my ears is like, okay, what's my spidey senses are tingling at this mm -hmm. point. Like what's going on? But I'm trying not to pay any mind to it. And once we roll into the preseason, I'm not getting a lot of minutes. Like they want to see um, Raul in action and all that. 
and Raul did well with the time he was given as well. So like no slack to him. But as I'm seeing my minutes and my reps start to diminish, like I'm starting to see like, okay, something's not right. And then they cut me right before, um, they cut me right before the regular season started. And to me, that was the first shock I had in my career where I felt an opportunity was coming and then it closed. Because when X towards ACL, you're thinking you that's, a big, uh, that's a bigger opening for me. I'm coming off of three years straight of somebody getting hurt or ruled ineligible for me to have a breakout year. Yeah. Then I finished the season strong with Utah because Trey Burke hurt his back. So <clears throat> I did well with those backup minutes, and now X tears his ACL. So I'm like, this is Providence happening all over again. Now the NBA, I'm like, oh, my works. God, I'm about yeah. to, like, blow up. And so when that door shut, it was like, oh, damn, like – like, I, I didn't really know how to respond to it mentally because I never had that happen. But, um, and I never really got a real opportunity again. Like, I played with Phoenix and I played with the Grizzlies for a little bit, but never really got another opportunity again. But I still wouldn't trade those experiences for the world because at the end of the day, I still got to prove to myself what I wanted to know. And then now I'm thriving over here Absolutely. in Australia. Yeah. So then, like you said, you had uh, some contracts with. Um, the Grizzlies and uh, Phoenix has always sort of bounced around some 10-day contracts. What point did you go, all right, cool, I'm going to try something else and take my talents overseas because you ended up going to Turkey after that? So I went to China first. China so first. after Phoenix kept me, I went to China. Was there a lot of like, uh, at the time, I know that you're happy how it's all worked out now for you, but at the time when that all happened, when you didn't get that contract, mm -hmm. when maybe the NBA route was looking like, oh, shit, I need to look and do something else here. Yeah. What was that feeling for you like? Were you thinking I can get back here? Were you really resentful for the stuff that happened? Was there was there anything like that? or Both. Like I was thinking, you know, okay, how do I get back here? I was very resentful. Of like, like I couldn't watch probably after Phoenix cut me, I don't think I could watch an NBA game for probably two years mm. like I wasn't able to do it because if I watch a game and then like there's a timeout and you look and you see a guy that you played against something like you're like damn he's on a roster yeah, too yeah. like wait I just I had 30 on this guy or I had 40 on this yeah, guy. Yeah. you know what I mean like that's right. where I'm thinking at this point I'm not you know I'm still very narrow-minded so yeah it was very very frustrating but I go over to uh China play over there I finished their season in the playoffs and by the time we finish we're i want to say playoffs are just about to start for the nba mm -hmm. and memphis slides me to a 10 day and i finish out the last two weeks with them and that's when the warriors went on to get their 73rd win on us wow. and i did get to score an iggy so <laughs> you know it, it, it worked out but uh so yeah that was my last time playing in an nba uniform with memphis and then from there, I went to Turkey, and Turkey was a wild experience. Um, like, that's when ISIS was pretty bad. And, like, there'd be a lot of random incidents that would happen that starts far away from the city I'm in. And it just seemed like every couple of weeks, the incidents would be closer, closer and closer. Yeah. So it's like, imagine something happens in Melbourne. Then, like, it just slowly starts working its way over to this coast. And before you know it, okay, it's, some yeah. shit happened yeah. in Perth. And long story short, yeah, bomb ended up going off um, 20 minutes from where I stayed when I was in Istanbul. And the last thing I wanted to be worried about was safety. Plus, I already wasn't enjoying it because I wasn't getting the minutes I wanted. And I was I didn't feel like I was being used the way I would like to be. Yeah. So 
my agent told me like I had two options. I can go to a team in Russia or I could go to Perk. And at that point, because I was just off the European experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'll go to Perth. And he told me that they, uh, I think bottom they were, the yeah, bottom of the ladder, <laughs> second class. <laughs> no good this year. So he was like, you'll be there for six weeks and then you'll get to go home, have an early off season and restart. I was like, cool, send me there. So I'm thinking Australia is going to be a pit stop. And I had remembered X and Ingles. They had told me a little bit about Australia. Um, and they was like, yeah, there's a basketball league out there. And they were like, oh, the seasons are reversed. Like, it's summer here when it's winter there. Like, you know, just random shit mm-hmm. that I didn't really think of. But then once it came full circle, I'm like, all right, let, let me go out here. Yeah. And before you know it, you know, we turn the season around. We go on to win the championship. Um, I think I set the record for most points in grand final in league history. So, like, a lot of things went down. And I was like, I love this place. I'm being used the way I want to be um, used on the floor. And my ration at that point was like, okay, if I'm not going to be in the NBA, then I'm going to play here because I know yeah. they're going to use me. And I, I had so much love from Perth. So it was, definitely, it was well, awesome. I remember the first game they played against Sydney and Kawaniga and I, you know, mm-hmm. bought late spot. There wasn't many games left. Bottom mm-hmm. of the ladder. Bryce Cotton comes in. Bees Bryce Cotton. 27 points first game. Tore shreds. I was like, this guy's pretty good. This yeah. is going to be awesome. Uh, and then, yeah, went from there to winning the championship in your first year. And then and you touched on just before, scored 45 in the grand final, mm-hmm. uh, which was a record. What was that game like? Was it was the hoop just feeling just this big and you were just doing whatever you like or what? Yeah, it was it was crazy, to be honest, man. Um, yeah, it was just one of those games where I guess really like you're drops. in the zone. Yeah. Everything <laughs> is just rolling. Um, and to be in like the, the the game three of the finals as well, how good that that's all started to roll in. Like they, there's no better time. Like, exactly. <laughs> like that was the game that that you know we get to hold up the trophy too. So yeah, it was it was brilliant and it was special too because uh, one of our teammates, Sean Redditch, that was his final year. Yep. So to be able to give him a championship, that was cool. Even though he went to uh, ASU, and so a little background story for Arizona. If you're from Tucson, you hate anybody affiliated with ASU is always bear down U of A. Yeah. So I always tell that to Shani. <laughs> bear down Wildcats. And then you won three championships with the Wildcats. We all go into all three of them, but maybe just which one out of the three that was one in 2007, 2019, and then 2020, which one was the most memorable, the one that your most favorite one, the hardest to win one, anything, which one really sticks out for you? I mean, they're all special and different reasons. Of course. But of course. if I'm being honest, I would say... 2019 probably meant the most because I felt uh, I felt like I was I should have got MVP that year. I, I think th- you should I be th- getting MVP every single year. <laughs> it's just it just depends on how the team goes. I think that's actually how it goes. I know there's a there's a lot of players that say that about themselves or whatever, but like I'm usually honest with myself if I feel I think I deserve something or not. That year I felt I deserved it, and then when we won it, Bogut, Bogut, um, stop. stop. But so, yeah, so Bogut won. But then when I found out I was third in votes at that, yeah. I was like, you know, no, no, like, no. what? So the way I rationalize it, because, again, I'm sick mentally. <laughs> so Casper beats uh, or not Casper beats Melvin beats uh, Sydney. Right. And I felt going into that uh, MVP race, I'm like, definitely it's either going to be me or it's Casper. I'm like, there's no way in hell they give this to Bogut. So when Casper advanced to the grand final and then we made it to the grand final, 
in my mind, I'm like, I would have only been okay if Casper got it. So now that Bogut's gone, here's the test of the two people that everybody was saying it should have been one of us. So mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, if I can't get the MVP, we got to fucking win this championship because I can't be slighted two times in one year. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we got that and they, all of them, like Liam, Corey, uh, and whoever else is on overtime, said we would lose like 3-1 or whatever. It just meant everything that we won that championship. And then we sent Greg higher on a home on a high note because he was retiring. You're starting from that, I think. I don't it was, it was special on so many reasons. Like, yeah. so many reasons. So that's probably my favorite by far. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, you mentioned Casper Ware. This is, I was going to ask you about it later on, but we'll, um, we'll do it now. So you had some wicked battles with him. I mean, mm -hmm. there's clips of you guys just yeah. each other talking trash yeah. up and down. It would have been that season uh, that you're talking about just then. Um, tell us about the battles with Casper. What were you talking to each other about? What was being <laughs> said, bro? Because it was like, I think that was the most, um, uh, except for the game, every, the cameras are on you two. Every single dog that you matched up. Yeah, a lot of stuff being said that can't be said. <laughs> um, you know, I knew Casper before we came into this league and, you know, we was always cool. But yeah, I, I don't know what happened, but it just became super, super competitive to where it was like, it was personal every single time we matched up. And I didn't mind that because, like, you know, back home, that was the only thing I felt that was different playing in Australia versus here. Like, I felt like people are just very, very nice. Yeah, like, there's not a lot of trash talk. Mm -hmm. So, like, with me and Casper would get into it, like, it was nothing too crazy. Just like, yeah, that, yeah, that's how you do it. Like, that's how we would do it in the Big East. That's how we did it in the D.E. high school. Like, trash talk's part of the game. But as much as me and him butt heads, I got nothing but respect for him. He's a hell of a player. And, like, as I said, that season... If Casper won the MVP, I'm like, okay, I could live with that. Like, cause that would have made sense. I felt yeah. we was the front runner. So as much as we butt heads, I always give credit where credit is due. Yeah, and love that. Well, it's, it seems to be whenever you get into a game that you start talking a little bit more with whoever you're playing on, you gotta <laughs> race your level in there. You do buzzer beating, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff since you start getting talked to. So uh, is there someone that was like, who's particularly gets under your skin or anybody else that uh, you've had some good sort of toe-to-toe -to -toe battles with from any, from it doesn't have to be from NBL, from any, any um, leagues that you played in. Oh, I mean, yeah, so many times. Like I'm if, trying to get, I'm trying to get a specific story out of it. Somebody <laughs> else where I've, where I've talked, okay, we've talked trash and butted heads, huh? Man. Now, nah, to be, to be honest with you, I would say Gasper's probably at the top just because I played him so many times in a, short span of years yep and it was always you know going clash like almost like how westbrook and uh lillard always play every time they play like they gonna butt heads like yeah so i i don't think i never had anything to that extent because me and him was probably the most consistent but it was always fun uh playing against him because he's that little player yeah most definitely it's so good to watch it just adds yeah. that little bit action to the game every time as well uh and then 2020 that championship there that was the the covid championship yeah which was just a had nightmare an absolute mess so pretty much for anybody that um doesn't know the sort of lead up to that um wildcats city kings top the ladder they're playing off the championship series two games in uh wildcats are up two zero and you guys get told that Sydney Kings don't want to come back over and do the next game because they're worried about COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just worried about fucking losing 3-0, to be honest. But so, yeah, so, uh, no, it was 2-1. It was 2-1. 2-1. But uh, outside of 2019, that's probably up there as well. Like, it's probably my favorite just because I don't know what was going on in that locker room, but I know what we talked about and, like, 
we tried to present a lot of scenarios from what I understand to where both teams could be happy to play. Yeah. And when they denied all the possibilities, I just felt like it was my opinion. I felt like, okay, if you guys were up 2-1, I don't think you guys would be this reluctant. So the fact that we didn't get to play that, what, game four, we didn't get to play game four because the team forfeited, that's almost more gratifying where it's like you mentally you feel like, okay, this team knows. Like we probably got their number and they're going to use a circumstance to – okay, we don't feel safe anymore. We don't want to play for health reasons or whatever. Yeah. That almost felt more gratifying to me. Because you got them. Yeah. And again, because I'm sick, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I had this thing with, like, just a competitive thing with Bogut. Like, I wasn't over the fact that he got that champion, uh, that MVP. I wanted it to be like, okay, yes, Bogut, you're probably, like, from start to finish, the best Australian player in Australia history and all this stuff that's great you've won NBA championships it's amazing but it's like that would be cool like like it be a part of helping keep you from winning a championship in your home country Most so definitely. it's like yeah yeah never won here like you, you, you won <laughs> NBA championships you know debated yeah. never won here so it's like that's my small little win even though I know he doesn't care about it at all I'm sure but it was just always little things that I needed to try to keep me fueled and and keep me going because yeah. those are the yeah, I'm motivated by the dumbest things and nobody would guess. Love it. Now, 2021, uh, that, uh, that series, that didn't obviously quite finish the way that uh, the Whitecats would have wanted. And also yourself, you copped a really nasty injury in a game against, I think it was Brisbane. Yep. And that kind of led to you not being able to finish off the season where you know, the Wildcats were in the, the final and unfortunately lost that one. Tell us a little bit about that and how serious that injury was. I mean, it was very serious, more serious, I guess, than we thought at the time. But it was so weird because I hurt myself or got the corks um, against Brisbane. And we played again two days later. So, like, let's say it was a Wednesday game. Mm -hmm. We played again on a Friday against Cairns. My leg was still very sore. I played through it. I was fine. Um, And then the next day, like, I'm just sitting down watching TV and I feel this funny twinge in my leg. And I can't really move it. Anytime I try to move it, it just feels like a, a massive cramp, basically. And so I'm just letting it sit there like, okay, it's going to go away. Because I never stretch my cramps out. They hurt too much. Yeah, totally. Um, and after like 30 minutes, I'm like, damn, I've never had a cramp this long. Like, what's going on? And so my wife gets home and I'm telling her like, yo, I've had this cramp in my leg for the last 30 minutes. And she tells me to stand up. She takes a picture of my leg. And it's basically double the size of my right leg. So I phoned our physio and he was like yeah you should probably go into the hospital just get somebody to take a look they did some uh i think mri scanning or whatever or ultrasound one of the two and five minutes after like that was done or walking back to the car to go back home get a phone call like yo you need emergency surgery but like now and i'm like okay like i'm thinking like okay when like when in the week should we get it they're like no like you need it as soon as possible, they're like, the longer you wait, you could have... Birth or your wife? I was in birth. Birth, yeah. They're like, you could have permanent damage. Like, because if they said my tissue was under so much pressure, it could just die off. So, like, me and my wife looked at each other like, shit, like, I guess this is a little bit more serious than oh. we thought. Um, so, yeah, to, to go through that, it was very frustrating because um, we were going for the three-peat that year. Uh, we were having such an amazing year. I think we were... We finished the regular season, I think, second on the ladder. 
so like yeah we were looking really really good and to not be able to be out there with the guys throughout the playoffs like it definitely hurt um and it was it was tough too because i lost i lost uh well i told you i got an older brother i haven't i had another one as well i lost my brother earlier that year so that was a very personal year for like for me just dealing with a lot of different stuff so it just sucked that like didn't get yeah didn't get to finish that year off because i was like using that year as a dedication or in memory of him type thing so yeah it was it was very tough but like i said with life you got to take the crickets with the straights and i'd be a fool if i acted like it was the end of the world because i had a season ending injury even though i got to play 32 out of the 36 regular season games but then like you look at the last two seasons we just had or whatever it's like shit you haven't had it that bad like you were going for a three-peat you didn't get it like because you can't you, like you can't play it whatever before you get over it yeah so i didn't let myself dwell on it too long but it was it, like it stung at first though yeah well yeah i'm so sorry to hear about that that's yeah. i mean i tried to i can imagine how even more difficult that would have made mm-hmm. that whole period and then the rehab of that would have been pretty extensive as well yeah um how did that go and do you feel like have you ever had any issues with it since and it was all good to all yeah it was all good so it was it was definitely a, a slow process getting there because the swelling just wasn't going away in the beginning but uh my biggest thing i wanted to do was when i came back that following season i didn't want to hear like ah oh, you know he did have that serious surgery he doesn't mm-hmm. quite look the same so it was you want that asterisk yeah so it was a big thing for me to prove to myself as well as to other people like i'm fine this is just a little bump in the road was it was it matt hodgson that gave you the the knee as well so everybody ended up not everybody thinks it was him but it it wasn't everybody just dropping your knees (laughs) he got me with the screen that game but he wasn't the one that did it. And I, I made sure he knew. He, he, <laughs> he knew. Well, the, the inner circle knows who did it. So, you know, I, I won't put it out there, but they, they know. That's good. Cool. Well, um, obviously came back and absolutely tore everything to shreds. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, that definitely didn't happen with Asterix. And, you know, I'm enough from, from how you're playing, which is great. So just before we go, I've got a couple, couple little specific examples I want to know uh, of some games or whatever, just memories that I've got. Um, so one of the games that's just unbelievable is your 33 points against Denver. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was great because was it good getting back over there and just being like, and, and, and putting those sort of numbers up going, I can fucking beat these guys still, you know? It was, yeah, it was all of that. Like in the same way I told you, once I had that game versus the Mavericks went at 21 points in 25 minutes. And I knew like, you know what, if I'm given a chance, no matter who I'm playing against, I can hold my own. So now I'm like, wow, I get to play against an NBA team and I have the ultimate green light. Really get to see where I'm at, you know what I mean? And obviously, like, we didn't win the game or anything like that. But for me, that was just another reminder for myself. Like, yo, you just scored 30 on an NBA team. And they were, I think they finished second in the West that year. And obviously they had great talent. They had Jamal Murray and all those guys. So it was just another reminder, like, yep, like, Whenever you're given an opportunity, you can hold your own. So now I never worry about, you know, what player's playing here or where I'm playing. Like, I just know, like, look, you control where you're at. And as long as you're handling your business where you're at, that's all you can do. Your win is your win. Other people's wins is their wins. But I I stay on my lane now, and I think it took years for me to be able to mature and look at life and look at my career from that standpoint. But now... 
that I've been able to do that. Um, I'm more at peace with my situation than ever before. Are you, have you got any inspirations, uh, aspirations, sorry, at all to get back to NBA? If someone like, you know, messages at home, you've got a contract, well, would you do it or you don't know? No, I would go for sure. Like yeah. if it's if it's a guaranteed contract, have you I would had any since being the Wildcat? Surely you've had something come through. I've had like offers. I had a 10-day and all that. I forgot to even mention that. Yeah, so the year we won the championship, yeah. um, my first year, they uh, I was offered a 10-day by the Hawks, I think it was. Um to come out in February and I was having so much joy like love for the game again out here I was like I don't want to go out there for a 10 day and then just to be cut a week later when it's having this amount of guaranteed money here I'm playing the way I want to be used and like we're doing so well and the way it was like explained to me it was like because trade deadline was coming up and they're like look if we don't get the, the guy we want in the trade deadline or whatever We'll keep you for the rest of the year, but if we do get him, we'll um, we'll release you after the ten day. So I'm like, I'm not gonna gamble on that. Like I've already been in the NBA. I'm off the stigma of, hey, I'm in the NBA because now I've been around the block a little bit to understand how stuff works. So I decided not to do it, and um, it worked out because whoever they wanted in the trade deadline, they got. So that would have meant I would have been cut. So um, yeah, it's it's been a couple times I feel like I've had to make gutsy calls for myself where there's no real right or wrong mm-hmm. uh, but just learning like you know, you just got to stand by your decisions because you have to know why you're doing something or why you're not yeah most definitely uh and uh one more uh example for from the games you the amount of game winners and buzzer beaters that you hit are just ridiculous there's literally just youtube clips of just your buzzer beaters <laughs> and just your just your game winner shots it's pretty awesome uh is there one that you go oh gee that was not bad they watched a few times and you go yeah that was that was the one can't wait to show the kids this one day <laughs> yeah um mm. probably the one version brisbane in perth yeah because Funny, you can see me the top of the screen as well. You're in there as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing a common denominator. All right, all right, there we go. Um, yeah, I would say that one, man, because what I remember that probably nobody else does is we got fouled and we were up two, and I missed both free throws. <clears throat> and Lamar comes down, scores the basket, ties it up. So in my mind, I'm like. If we lose this game, it's because you because you missed two damn free throws. Like when when do you ever do that? I thought his free throws. Yeah. So yeah, so to come down probably what the, those next ten seconds and hit the shot to end the game, like it was a relief more than it was exciting. But uh, that was probably top of the list for me. Pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Uh, and the year coming up for you, what are you working on? Um, yeah, are you working on anything different in the off season just now? Um, obviously, you said you're going home for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you have guys that you work out with at home or play basketball with when, when you're back home? Yeah, so I got a guy that I work out with. Uh, I've been working out with him probably ever since 2016, I believe. Mm-hmm. His name is Jamal, Jamal Rhodes. So, uh, and is he a fitness guy or a basketball guy? Basketball. basketball, basketball, basketball. Yeah. So I, I'm more like in my off season, everything's gonna be all basketball. Like I might do my push ups, sit ups, and uh, so you're not in the gym much at all. Not weight room wise. No. Yeah, really. I'll just do body weight stuff, and then everything is all on the court for me. See. Um, and I'm a creature of habit. So basically, everything I do now, I've been doing the last 
probably seven years or so. That bright don't fix it, just keep going. Yeah, <laughs> superstitious to a fault almost. Yeah, wicked. And uh, what's sort of next for you for the next um, year coming up in terms of do you have any, you know, like projects or things like that that you're working on? Um, and, um, you know, what are you kind of uh, taking into this next season's upcoming season of the, of the NBL? Yeah, I mean, for, I guess with projects and all that stuff, uh, I'm just going to be doing some regional camps when I get back from Arizona. Right. Um, going to be going down south, a couple up north as well. I know we got Geraldton, Bunbury. Sweet. Um, and some places like that. We'll be hitting Brome, some other places. So that's going to be cool. That's out that's of my awesome. comfort zone for me. Totally. And you're coaching? You're, you're running the clinics? Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll be doing it. Me, me and Damo will probably be doing it side by side. So nice. It'll so be like Damo do all the talking. Who else is talking more than Damo? Yes, so, yeah. so yeah, we'll be doing that, and then obviously um, back during the COVID times, like I, had, me and my wife, we tried out like just making a little clothing line for fun. We didn't really have, like, we didn't view it too serious, but it actually turned out to be pretty good. We had some loyal customers, so we're right. gonna toy around and see if we can maybe find some stores to put some new. Uh, clothing and what's the brand called uh c11 right so yeah we're gonna see if we can find some venues to put it in and yeah if we can make some more shirts or, or hats or whatever that'll be cool so those are probably the things lined up off the court nice and then um as far as like basketball it's been three years i think now since we've been on the top of the mountain so that's obviously the goal and we're gonna try to do everything we can to rebuild and just get back to the Wildcats that we're used to being and that the Wildcats, the fans, are, are used to seeing as well. Most definitely. Got our work cut out for us, but we're going to see how we go. But, um, yeah, you always put the work in and then you just see where the chips fall, basically. Can't wait to watch it all from row F. It's going to be great. So. <laughs> so hopefully you'll be in a whole lot more pictures of some yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, mate, thank you so much for coming and doing the podcast with me. Like I said, uh, love uh, you as an athlete, but love your backstory as well. Um, super generous uh, with your time and coming down and, uh, and doing this. And um, I hope uh, you enjoy going back over a few weeks. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much. No problem. Yeah. I'll give you a real handshake. There we go. I wonder what wet fish one that time. That's there you awesome. Go. We got that on camera too. <laughs> so it's a pleasure. <laughs> And that is another episode of Fat Chat all wrapped up. That was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my entire life. I'm going to show the kids that one day. It was fucking awesome. So thank you so much, Bryce, for coming down and doing that. Uh, Dammy Martin for uh, teeing that one up. Bloody legend as well. Uh, and uh, everybody that was involved with putting that episode together. Bloody excellent. But uh, very, very cool. Thanks so much for tuning on in. Uh, can't wait for next episode. Uh, and uh, if you wouldn't mind just doing us a quick little favor in following or subscribing uh, on Spotify, Apple Music or YouTube, wherever you're listening, or uh, streaming the episode from it really would go a long way and I'd owe you two favours if you rated it a big five stars um, so we can you know keep on getting great guests on uh, the podcast each and every week but uh, bloody love your work guys hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and I will see you next episode